Would you worship the Lord with me one more time? I thank you, Lord Jesus. I praise you, Lord Jesus. I adore you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be thy matchless holy name. I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to do something this morning that I almost never do. Very rarely do I ever preach out of the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament preacher. <laughs> but uh, I want to take a text, an illustration from the Old Testament today. And... Uh, bring you an important message for this hour praise God I want to speak to you today on the subject of, of being in God's will in this urgent hour being in God's will knowing the perfect will of God and being in his will in this very very urgent an important hour praise God if there was ever a time that we need to be in the will of God it is today this is the greatest hour in the history of the church this is the greatest hour we can no longer say that the latter rain is soon to come you're right in the middle of it right now it's here it's happening it's happening. God is pouring out the Holy Ghost all over the world. And there's no way that that can happen and a revelation of Jesus' name not happen too. The revelation will be here. It will happen. I don't know exactly how the Lord's going to do it, but these folks that are filled with the Holy Ghost, oh, Brother Cole, I don't know if they're filled with the Holy Ghost or not. You better be careful lest you blaspheme the Holy That's Ghost. Right. That's right. That's right. Hello, hallelujah, amen, glory to God. Amen. <laughs> and I believe God's going to bring these folks to a revelation. They may never join the UPC. They may never let my hands baptize them. But I believe God is going to bring a revelation to these people that they will be baptized in Jesus' name. I think it's important. I think it's essential. I think it's absolutely essential to be baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Are you glad for the revelation? Are you glad for this hour that God has allowed you to live in? God has allowed you to live in the best time that there's ever going to be in the history of the church. You're not just Joe Blow or something else like that or somebody that does, that's not insignificant. God has purposely chosen you for this hour, which is the most important hour in the entire dispensation of the church. That makes you very important. Extremely important. Amen. And I want to be in his will. I told Shirley, my wife, my precious wife, I said, uh, I've got a new commission from the Lord. She said, what is it? I said, my commission is to entertain you for the rest of your life. <laughs> she said, what does that mean? <laughs> and I... She said, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> Just the year before that, I had been away over 300 days in one year. <laughs> Still pastoring. My style. Which means very, very bad. <laughs> Thank God for good helpers. <laughs> Those folks in Charleston's got a good pastor now. 
My grandson is their pastor, and he is a real, genuine, honest-to-God pastor. And he is a preacher. And he keeps me under control. I don't even sit on the platform. I sit on the front pew. Where if they're there, praise the Lord, and if they're not there, I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> and the folks in Charleston I don't know exactly why they do it but every time the pastor walks from his office into the pulpit they stand they just automatically stand everybody in the building they do it every time and when he walks in I stand I stand and he walks up to me and gives me an embrace and I kiss him on the cheek right in front of that whole church then he goes to the pulpit. And I don't tell him what to do. I don't try to instruct him. And he's doing a great job. The last time I sat on the platform, I got so mad that I was ready to break my teeth. <laughs> and they tell me I can't whisper. <laughs> and I was talking to a deacon that was sitting close to me. Pastor Anthony, my grandson, got up, walked over to me and said, Papa, you're very angry. And this entire church knows it. <laughs> now you settle down and behave yourself. And turned around and went back and sat down. And the first thought that went through my mind was, who does this smart aleck think he is? <laughs> And then I remembered who trained him. <laughs> if you think I'm not preaching, you better buy the tape and hear what I've already said. <laughs> oh, we've got a job to do, folks. My position's not important. Right. I've got to be in the will of God, whatever that is. I've got to help you every way that I can possibly help you. You've got to help me. This is the hour. This is the time. This is the place that we've all been waiting for. Thank you, Jesus. Let me read some scripture. First Samuel chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Now therefore make a new cart, and take two melch kine on which there hath come no yoke, and tie the kine to the cart, and bring their calves home from them. And take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and put the jewels of gold which ye return him, which ye return him for a trespass offering in a coffer by the side thereof and send it away that it may go. And if you see that it goeth up by the way of its own coast to Beshemesh, then he hath done this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us it was just a chance that happened to us. And the men did so, and took two milch kine, that means cows, and tied them to a cart, and shut up their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart, and the coffer of the mice of gold, and of the images of their emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beshemesh, went along the highway lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left and the lords of the philistines went after them unto the border of Beshemesh. and they of Beshemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it father i thank you for the state of Louisiana. I thank you for the great revival that has happened in Louisiana over the many years. 
Thank you for all the great elders that have lived and have already been buried, but were faithful to the end. Thank you for those that are presently leading this great district. Thank you for these people that love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given me enough strength to stand at this pulpit. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your anointing shall be upon me. Anoint my mind with wisdom. Fill my tongue with power, I pray. Help me to help your people today. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, in Jesus' name. God bless you and you may be seated. Let me give you just a little background of what is happening in this scriptural story and text. Israel had their ups and downs. They were, they were never very consistent in their walk with God. It depended a whole lot on whether a real true man of God was with them or not. When there was a great man of God with them or a woman of God, they would seem to turn toward God and to revival. But uh, there are many times when they were without that voice. And sometimes they ignored the voice. And they would fall into sin. Not only would they fall into sin, but they'd even fall beneath that. They would get into idolatry. And believe me, God despises idolatry. And for that reason, the Lord allowed the Ark of the Covenant to be taken from their presence. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was just a box that you've been taught about that was beautifully overlaid with gold, with certain things in it. But it was the representation of the presence of Almighty God. It represented God's presence being with them. And the, the Lord allowed the Philistines to take this beautiful Ark of the Covenant away from them and carried it into their own country, even set it in front of their own gods, if you please. But it wasn't long until they were suffering severe pestilence, very severe pestilence. There was the pestilence came in to begin to destroy their crops, their wheat and barley and whatever crop they might have had. It was being destroyed. Furthermore, it affected their bodies. They, they began to suffer severely in their bodies. And there was those that were among them that were wise enough to figure out possibly this has happened because Jehovah God of Israel is displeased with us. You know, you get in these foreign countries where they worship idol gods. That brother and sister Willoughby here on the front pew. I didn't know they were here. And here they are sitting on the front pew. They live in Singapore. A lot of idol worship in Singapore. Among the Chinese and in Thailand and all those surrounding countries. Literally thousands and thousands and thousands of idols. And uh, you think, well, they're just a bunch of hottentots that, that, that doesn't know anything. You got the surprise of your life. When you get off of the plane in Singapore, you got the surprise of your life. You've never seen a more modern city in all your life. And, and smart people, lawyers, doctors, everywhere there. That's the truth. And so it was with these Philistines, there were some among them that had wisdom enough to figure out, to figure out what was happening here. And they said, let's, let's just make a little experiment. Let's, let's, let's try, test the situation. Let's bring a cart that's never been used for anything before. And let's get a couple of calves, a couple of cows that has never pulled a cart before in their life. And we're going to hitch them up to this cart. And we want calves, we want cows that, that has calves. And then we're going to take those calves away from them and put the calves in the barn. And then we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant on this cart and we'll turn them loose. And if these cows go in the direction of Beshemesh, then we will know that Jehovah God is causing these plagues upon us and he's displeased that we have this ark in our possession. What they were inferring was if these cows do the normal thing, 
that God had nothing to do with it, that Je Jehovah had nothing to do with it. What was the normal thing? Well, I'm not a farmer, but I know enough to know what cows would do if their calves was in the barn. Those calves are balling, and those cows hooked up to a cart that they'd never been hooked up to before in their life or hitched up to with yokes on their necks that they've never felt before. Are you kidding? They would have turned that cart upside down and then it headed right straight for the barn where those calves were at. Right, right. That's, that's what, that was the normal thing. That would be the normal thing to happen. No, no exception. No exceptions whatsoever. But those cows did not go to the barn. They went straight ahead, right in the direction of Beshemesh, right in the direction of Israel, right where God wanted his presence to be. He was ready to accept their repentance and to allow his presence to come back to them. God always wants to be with us, folks. Sometimes he can't get to us because we won't let him. But he always wants to be with us. He always wants to be in our midst. He always wants his presence among us. Thank God he's here today. I said, thank God he's here today. And God wanted to renew his presence with Israel. And those cows went in the straight way towards Beshemesh with great pain, lowing, Bible says lowing, they were bellowing, they were bawling as they went, neither turning to the left or the right. And the reason was not because that was natural for them, that was supernatural. Everyone say supernatural. supernatural. It was supernatural, it was above anything that could possibly be done naturally. Amen. And the reason was is because God had touched those cows. God had put it in the mind of those men that were in control and in charge to make such an experiment. And God had touched those cows. He had touched their flesh. He had touched their bones. He had touched their body. He had touched the sinews and the blood of their body. And they were no longer their own. They didn't belong to their self anymore. They couldn't do what they wanted to do anymore. They had to do what God wanted them to do. And so it is with us today. God touches us. I feel his touch. Hallelujah. I have to be very, very, very careful how I step while I'm at this pulpit or I will fall. I fall so easily. But I want you to know that God's anointing is on me. His touch is still on me. When God touches you, you can do the supernatural. You can do that beyond what is natural. I never shall forget when I began to realize the supernatural in my ministry and God miraculously called me to the nation of Thailand. The thing that first drew my attention to it was I was pastoring in a little village about 5,000 people in West Virginia out in the mountains. And uh, it was, you talking about crooked roads. You folks don't know anything about crooked roads down here. <laughs> there's just uh, I don't think there's a crooked road down here but we got them in West Virginia thank God for the interstate <laughs> that plows through those mountains but it used to be we didn't have those interstates and uh, you just went on two-way roads and it was so crooked I remember that between my house and my father's house it was 45 miles and 937 curves. I counted them. <laughs> 937 curves. And one of them was so curved that you would come right back the same direction you were going. And then turn back. When you turn around that curve, you say, look, there's a car just like ours. It even got the same license plate. <laughs> 
That's right. <laughs> and while I was living in that little village, pastoring about a hundred people, I suppose, maybe a little bit more, God began to deal with my heart in a way that I didn't even recognize. A former pastor of mine was opening a new church in Erie, Pennsylvania, a brand new home missions church. And he had asked me to come up and preach for him. And so Sister Shirley and I was on our way up there to preach for him. And uh, he was working as a mechanic in the Chevrolet garage uh, to make a living in those days. Thank God for home missions that are, that's helping us now. We didn't have that kind of help back in those days. We really didn't. You just, uh, someone said you just have to root hog or die <laughs> in those days. But uh, he was working and, uh, one, and he lived in an upstairs apartment. And uh, one day when his wife and my wife was downtown shopping just a little bit, we were, both of us were very young. Shirley was 21 and I was 24 in those days. And uh, boy, that's been a long time ago. <laughs> and I was sitting in this upstairs apartment uh, studying the, the Bible. And a knock came to the downstairs door. And I went down there and there was a little Asian man there from Thailand. And uh, quite frankly, I was afraid of him. Yeah, I was a hillbilly, you know. I'd never been anywhere. <laughs> and there was this foreign man standing there. I was, I was really afraid of him. You know, he, he was small. He was tiny physically, but a small man can do an awful lot of damage. He's got a gun in his pocket. <laughs> Don't take much to pull the trigger, you know. <laughs> and I was kind of afraid of him, but he pulled out a piece of paper from his pocket. It was something like this, maybe about that size. And he handed it to me. He said, there's address of this house and apartment is on this piece of paper. And he said, there's no name. He said, I don't know where I got it. He said, I am the general secretary of the Presbyterian movement of Thailand. And I'm here for conferences. And I have come here to Erie, Pennsylvania to speak in six different Presbyterian churches. And... Uh, I have come here today to find out why I have this address. He said, I've been in Toronto, I've been in Detroit, and I've been in New York City. But I don't know who give this to me or why they give it to me. Well, on the strength of that scripture that says, lest you entertain angels unaware, I invited him in. I was afraid of him. <laughs> and... Uh, but anyhow, on the strength of that, I invited him in. And we got to talking. And I said to him, Reverend Gittisan, have you ever heard tell of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost? He said, oh, yes. He said, I have the Holy Ghost. I speak with tongues. He said, and he put his fingers up like this. He used his thumb. He said, there are six of us in the nation of Thailand that speak with tongues. All of them in my family, my sister, my daughter, my two daughters, and he named the other members of his family. He said, there are six of us in the nation of Thailand that speak with tongues. And then I meant to ask him, have you ever heard tell of water baptism by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And he interrupted me. I got as far as you ever heard tell of baptism by immersion, and he stopped me right there. He said, oh, yes. You think because I'm Presbyterian that we sprinkle. But I have a baptistry in my church. And we baptize people by immersion in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And I looked at him and I said, Reverend Gittisan, what is the name of the Son? And he stopped. And he stared at me. He didn't cry. But his eyes became very watered. My exact words to him was, Reverend Gittison, are you having a heart attack? Are, are you sick? He called me a child. <laughs> he said, no child. He said, you see, I can quote the entire New Testament. 
I can quote it word for word from Matthew to Revelation. I've memorized the entire book of the New Testament. And when you ask me that question, what is the name of the son? Suddenly the curtains roll back and all these scriptures came together for me. And I've seen Jesus as he really is. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Two days later, he was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I still, I still didn't uh, think it was my job to go to Thailand. I thought he could handle that. <laughs> in the meantime, my wife had a wonderful experience uh, in the Lord. She has... She has very dramatic experiences in the Lord. Very, very, very outstanding experiences that, that I've never had. And God began to, I, rather I began to talk to her first about going to Thailand. Well, she was absolutely was not interested in that at all. She just wasn't interested in that at all. And then she became very sick. She was sick for 10 days, very sick. And in the meantime, my father had given me several magazines uh, be, that had pictures of people from Thailand in it. And uh, the king and queen of Thailand was here and, and they were very loved by the American people. In fact, the king of Thailand was born in Boston. His father was in the university there when he was born. And uh, so he had a very wonderful relationship with the United States. And uh, I was looking through those magazines and the pictures from Thailand. I didn't ask my wife to read those magazines. I just told her, just laid them on her bed. <laughs> and she picked them up and began to look. And in a little while, she jumped out of bed, come running into the living room where I was sitting, and fell down on the floor, sobbing, and embraced my ankles and said, Billy, I'm ready to go to Thailand. I said, what in the name of God? <laughs> and she opened the magazine to a picture of four men just standing there in a picture, in a pose. She said, when I was only eight years old, God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And when I went home, I knelt down beside my bed and I uh, prayed, Lord, if I should ever fail you, if I should ever get out of the will of God, just take my life right now. And suddenly I had a vision. And the vision was the, these four men. It was in this picture from Thailand. Well, I kind of chickened out before it was over with. I wasn't going. <laughs> I was a little too nervous. <laughs> I was a real hillbilly. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> you folks don't even know what a hillbilly is, do you? That's a country person, country person out in the mountains <laughs> that makes uh, homebrew and all that stuff. You know? <laughs> Rednecks that make white lightning. Yeah. <laughs> F.E. Kurtz, the superintendent of Ohio, walked up to me one time, put his finger out on my chest. He said, Billy Cole, if you don't go to Thailand, you're going to totally miss God's will. And turned around and walked away. So God didn't send me to Thailand. F.E. Kurtz did. <laughs> it's going to get that way again. God's going to let something happen to help us to understand authority. You can't understand great things till you understand authority. And submission to authority. <laughs> Amen. So he said, you got to go. So I went. And what a time I had. They put me on a ship. Back in those days, the, uh, the missionary board wouldn't allow you to go by airplane. You had to go by ship. Well, God bless all you sailors. 
You can have every ship in the world as far as I'm concerned. I've had one, and that's enough. Don't buy me no cruise ticket. <laughs> I don't want to go on a ship. Oh, my God. The first day we was out, it came a storm, and that ship would go up like that, and then it would come down, and the whole half of the front of that ship would go completely under the water. And the waves hit against the window of our room where we were staying. Oh, everybody was sick, and what a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's just the first day. <laughs> I was on it three weeks before I seen any land. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long ways over there. When you get to Thailand, you can go either direction and you're coming back. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, I had an oceanic transistor radio someone had given me. They were very large in those days, you know. They're about this big now, but they used to be great big radios. And I was listening to an American station from San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I'm not the hero type. I really am not. And uh, that radio was playing. I had it on an AM station, and, and we got so far from San Francisco that that signal faded out and it frightened me I, it really did frighten me i almost panicked i remember i picked that radio up and just shook it i just shook that radio and then it come back on it come back on and they were singing there's room at the cross for you <laughs> amen <laughs> and then that was the last i heard of that but well, we was on that ship for three weeks, nothing but water, 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 water. I'd never seen so much water in all my life. <laughs> and finally we got to the Philippines. And they pulled into Subic Bay for a short stop. Well, immediately Shirley wanted off of the boat, you know. She wanted off of the ship. And I was afraid to go. I was afraid to get off of that ship. <laughs> but I did anyhow just to appease her. And when we got off of the ship, here come these little Filipino people surrounding us, you know, wanting to sell us something or something. I said, Shirley, let's get back on this boat. Let's get back on this ship right now. <laughs> well, she persuaded me to stay off a little while. And one time she hollered at me, Billy, 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 get out of the street. I was standing in the middle of the street just like this. I was shocked. I really was. <laughs> Some missionary, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got back on the ship went to the Manila, down to Manila and there we called the missionary or rather we didn't call the missionary I didn't know enough about doing something like that we didn't call him but my mother had written to brother Buckmiller and he was in the Philippines for a short time and told him when we would be arriving well he showed up and the captain of my ship told me, he said, sure, you can go home with him tonight. You don't even need a visa or anything. Just go home and said, check back with me tomorrow. I'll let you know what we're doing. Well, I went home with him, and we was never so glad to see anybody in all of our life. I'm telling you. I, we stayed up all night long and talked. And took a little nap about 6 o'clock in the morning. And then at 8 o'clock, we went out shopping a little bit. I had $10 in my pocket. I spent nine of them on wood carvings or something. <laughs> and we got back to his house and, and Shirley said, well, you better call that captain like he told you. And I said, all right, we will. And when I called, we couldn't get the ship. Just as the, the agent on the land. He said, sir, that ship sailed hours ago. I said, sailed? <laughs> Oh, brother, Buck Miller jumped up and down and said, it's the will of God, it's the will of God, it's the will of God. And Shirley looked at him and said, you're as crazy as a bed bug. 
<laughs> Everything we own in the world is on that ship. <laughs> well, God performed a miracle. He said, we're having our very, very first conference in the Philippines. There was only 200 members in the whole nation then. We had, in the UPC, 200 members in the whole nation. That's right. And all 200 of them was coming together for a conference down in Negros Island. He said, someone just sent me a little bit of money. And it's enough to buy you an air ticket down there. And uh, you just go with us. I said, well, what am I going to do? He said, well, we'll get you an air ticket. And so we went down to SAS Airlines. And they let me have a ticket to Bangkok and for my wife on credit. Now, that means nothing now. But believe me, that was a miracle back in those days, to get a ticket on credit in those days. And they told me, they said, you can pay for it when your ship comes in. <laughs> well, we went down to this little Negros Island in the conference, and I was so shocked. There was 25 people got the Holy Ghost in that meeting. But not because I was there. Oh, not because I was there. Because I was just like this. I, I was just so shocked and so astounded at everything. But thank God we learned a lot of things that we should do and should not do while we were there. <laughs> it, it saved a lot of heartache and a lot of mistakes in Thailand. And then finally we flew over to Thailand. When we was getting ready to get on the plane, I walked up to the desk where the immigration's officer was and he was just smiling and I handed him our passports. He started leafing through them. He said, you don't have any visa. I said, how long you been here? I said, I've been here eight days. He said, you're under arrest. I thought, oh my God. You talking about being terrified. Little women out on the street had scared me before. What do you think about this guy? <laughs> he said, I told him, I said, we've got to get on the SAS Airlines to Bangkok. He said, there's only one man in this nation to get you on that plane. And he's the invisible man. I don't know what he meant by that. I suppose it meant it was hard to find him. And here come a man that was very distinguished looking Filipino man and uh, walked up to us. From Subic Bay down to Manila. He got on at Subic Bay and he loved Brenda. Brenda had blonde hair and blue eyes, and she never met a stranger. And she had talked to him the whole trip. It was only a few hours. And she had talked to him that whole trip, and he loved her and was kind to her. And when she seen him, she run right straight to him. She's only five years old. My God, she's almost 100 years old now. <laughs> she's got grandbabies now. <laughs> But she was only five years old then, and uh, she run right straight to him. When he seen her and seen us, he said, what are you people doing in the Philippines? Well, I had no idea he could help, but I told him our situation. He took the passports out of our hands, walked behind the desk, and stamped them, and signed them eight days prior. He was the invisible man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yay. That's right. <laughs> and that guy that arrested me looked at me and he said, Incredible! Incredible! <laughs> well, but this time I was feeling kind of cocky. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I looked back at him and said, Incredible! Incredible! They had to push the steps back up to the plane to get us on. They had already closed the door, but they opened it and let us on. And when we arrived in Thailand, the only clothes we had was the ones that we were wearing. We were the first worldwide traveling hippies. <laughs> the only difference was we washed them clothes every day. <laughs> 
My trousers used to be blue. I don't know what color they was by that time. <laughs> that was back in the days when people really dressed up on the plane. I mean, you know, fancy shoes and suits. And of course, people get on the uh, people get on the plane anymore nowadays. It looks like they just got out of bed and come. <laughs> <laughs> just all kind of ways on the plane anymore <laughs> but not so in those days so we kind of held to the back of the line when we got to Bangkok to the back of the line at immigrations and I only had this little overnight kits the only luggage we had and when we finally got up there he was dressed in white uniform with brass on his hat he happened to be one of the high-ranking men there and he looked at us and he said uh, well where is your luggage sir I said, right here, one little overnight kit. He said, how much money do you have to declare? I said, I've got one dollar. He said, well, just how long do you expect to stay here? I said, four years. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give you a pass long enough so you can go to the immigration's office. And you're going to have to work this out. I think you've got some problems. <laughs> well, we went out and the bus was going. It only cost 50 cents to get on the bus. It was taking these passengers. And so we spent our dollar. And the, Brenda was so young, they let her go free. And so we didn't have nothing. Didn't know where we was going. Brother Boonmark Gittison had a big school of 2,000 kids, plus the church right there together somewhere. And, uh, but we had left the address in my suitcase on the ship. I couldn't even remember his name. His full name was Gittison. Butanradu uh, was his full name. <laughs> and I couldn't remember it, and I sure didn't know how to spell it. <laughs> But I had seen the picture of that school. So we started looking. They took all these other passengers all over Bangkok. And by the way, Bangkok is a city at that time of three million people. That's 50% that's more people in, in that one city than there is in the whole state of West Virginia. And uh, now it's a city of eight million people today. But it was three million in those days. And they started delivering everybody, and they give them all down to their hotels and what have you. And, and the driver couldn't speak a word of English, not one word. And the little guide, the little lady guide that was with us could, could speak English, but she couldn't speak enough English to know why I wasn't getting off of the bus. She couldn't figure out why I wouldn't get off the bus. She said, finally, she turned around and put her hands on her hips and said, Where do you go? I said, I don't know where I go. Well, she said, I can't drive you all day. <laughs> I said, she said, I go airport. I said, well, I go airport with you. <laughs> and then she told the driver to go one street down and to turn right. And when she turned right, there was that school in the middle of three million people. <laughs> that's right well they wasn't quite expecting me to arrive in that fashion but anyhow Mrs. Gittison came over one day and said I want you to go and greet the school students she was the owner of the school and so she came after me in this little car a little Morris minor car if you don't know what that is, it's smaller than a Volkswagen. Not the new ones, the old ones. Smaller than the old ones. And she not only wanted me to get in the car, but she wanted me to sit in the back seat. So here, I've got the doors open, and I'm trying to get in this Volkswagen. And I finally make it to the back seat. But on the way in, I heard something go, RIP! And my wife heard it too. She sat down beside me and she wouldn't look at me. She was as pale as a ghost. 
She said, did they? I said, yeah. I said, when I get out of this tin can, if I can get out, I want you to walk very close behind me. <laughs> when we arrived there, here was 2,000 kids standing at attention. 2,000 of them. And when that little Morris Minor rolled up and I started coming out of that car, I <laughs> almost turned it over. Those kids went ballistic. They went absolutely nuts when they seen me. They had never seen anything like me in all their life. They were tiny little people, you know. <laughs> One kid got down on his knees and just beat the ground. <laughs> and so here we are taking a tour of the school and sister Cole very close behind me and finally I was so worried Mrs. Giddison could speak a little bit of English I said Mrs. Giddison I have a problem she said, what is your problem? <laughs> I said, I have split my pants. She took me by the arms, turned me around, and said, let me see. Boy, they sewed the awfulest scar on those britches you ever seen in your life. <laughs> That's all I had to wear for a while. <laughs> when Shirley and I'd be walking down the streets, little kids would be playing, and when they'd see me, they'd just gasp for their breath and run in the house and run in the shop and get their mom and dad to come out and look at me. They thought I was some kind of a clown. They thought I was from Mars or someplace. I didn't know their language. They didn't know my language. I'd got there in such a way. I didn't know what to do. But God had touched me. God had touched my body. He had touched my mind and touched my sinews. And God gave us a great church in Thailand of thousands of Buddhist people that were filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. There's something about the touch of God. I don't care who you are or what you are. If you'll submit yourself to God and to His will, He is able to use you in this glorious hour that we live today. Those cows walked a new road. They walked a road that they had never been on before in their life. And they had no one to guide them. No one to lead them. And when God touches you, you might find yourself in a strange situation. It's very strange. Very strange. But I want you to know that God is in charge if you keep submitted to Him. And keep submitted to the church. You hear me? Submitted to the church. Amen. Hallelujah. There's, there's several things that will hinder us and hinder our faith in trying to do the work of God. One of them is the lack of preparation or the lack of education. There's only one thing to do when you don't know what to do, and that's to ask somebody that does know. They won't think less of you. If you say, hey, I've got this job. I don't know how to do it. Will you help me? You're going to be taller in their sight. That's right, bro. Not lesser. You're not going to be less in their sight. 
you're going to be taller in their sight if you've got enough sense and enough wisdom to ask for some help can you say amen, amen. preparation is important but you don't always have enough education is important but you don't always have enough and somebody is willing to help you somebody is willing to help you another thing that can hinder us is the lack of familiarity we haven't had the experience before well there's only one way to get experience and that's just do it once and if you make a mistake don't be so cocky and bullheaded that you're going to ram it down somebody's throat that's right brother Cole. That's right. That's right. don't don't get mad and fight say well i didn't do too good that time i'll do it better next time that's the right attitude that's the right attitude. it's a it's outstanding it is astounding the arrogance that we have sometimes just wreck the church we don't care as long as our ego is intact. Let me tell you something, folks. Your ego is not important today. The will of God is important today. That's what's important. And then there's another thing that will hinder your faith, and that's the lack of recognition. Sometimes people withhold blessing. Sometimes they withhold compliments. The United Pentecostal Church is a church that I love. And I don't care what you do. I'm not going to leave you. I don't care what you do. I'm going to stay with you. If I don't like what you're, going to, what you're doing, I'm going to preach against it. But I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you. This is the best church in the whole world. I said this is the best church in the whole world. Problems? You, you better believe we got problems. Nutheads that call themselves preachers, you better believe we've got a few. We've got a few that's just nothing but ignoramuses. That's the truth. Is that all right? They're not on this platform, but we've got them in the church. <laughs> Amen. I don't care how many ignoramuses you get, I'm going to stay with you. I am not leaving United Pentecostal Church for any reason. Amen. We're doing a little better. There was a time that it was a sin in the United Pentecostal Church to compliment somebody. If they did a good job to compliment them, we were puffing them up. And it was an absolute sin to compliment somebody. No matter how good they done, no matter how much they work, how many souls they win, never compliment. My God, you'll puff them up and they'll lose their soul. You. Amen. I know you haven't went to sleep. I know you're listening to me. It's amazing how some men and women have survived us. I said it's amazing how some have survived us and continue to do their work. It's astounding. Let me tell you something. For every, there's those that get puffed up and fall. Oh yeah. They get all puffed up. They even get to the place that they think that they can't sin. No matter what they do, it's okay with God. They get so puffed up. And there are those that get puffed up and lose their soul. But for everyone that gets puffed up and loses their soul, there are ten that get discouraged and loses their soul. And the reason they get discouraged is because you've never one time said, Hey, you're doing a good job. Whenever I keep you humble, if I try to keep you humble, I haven't got one single scripture to back me up. There is not one scripture in the Bible that tells me to keep you humble. You have to humble yourselves before God. My job is to help you. My job is to encourage you. My job is to tell you you're wonderful. My job is to tell you you're precious. 
that you're a wonderful saint of God. My job is to tell you you're doing a good job. And if you get all puffed up and shack up with some woman somewhere, that's your fault. That's your fault, not mine. Be careful of this point. Lack of recognition will knock you down to your knees. You'll stagger like a drunk man. But just remember this. Let me give you a word of wisdom. Do everything you do as unto the Lord. And believe me, he takes note of everything. He knows what you're doing. He knows what you're doing and what it's costing you to do it. He, and you will get that reward when you see him. And you may even get a lot of it right here in this life. Let me hurry on. I'm taking entirely too much time. My God, I didn't know I could stand for an hour. <laughs> You're in the will of God. You're in the will of God. All right. The Bible says those cows took the straight way to Beshemesh. Neither turning to the right nor to the left. What an admonition for us as people of God. You live in a world today that will get your attention if you're not careful. We live in a sinful world. We live in a world that is very promiscuous. And we live in a world where everybody tries to make themselves beautiful and make you want them. Do you hear me? They're seductive. When they walk in front of you, they want you to say, Oh my God, but I love to have that. <laughs> That's the way they act. Both men and women dress in that fashion and act in that fashion. You hear me? And there's pleasures out in the world. And there's a lot of money to make out in the world. And sometimes when you do the will of God, you may not be making all that money. That's right, brother. That's right, brother. Okay. Right, brother. Money is But I've made up my mind. I don't care how the world pulls on me. It may almost pull the flesh off of my bones. Oh, God. But I'm going to pull back. I don't care what happens. It can pull me the other way. And I'm going to pull back until I've got my eyes on what God wants me to do. Lowing as they went. Let me tell you, those cows were balling for those calves. I don't care how rich you are. I hope you're rich. And I hope you drop a lot of money in the offering while we're here. Especially in the morning offering. <laughs> I don't care what kind of a home you live in. You might live in a half a million dollar home or even a million dollar home. We have people among us who do, you know. And I don't feel jealous of them. I feel glad they got it. You may drive the most luxurious car and you may have two or three of them in your garage and you may wear fine tailor-made clothes I don't care what you got but when you do the will of God I promise you sometime someplace you're going to hurt and you're going to cry and you're going to weep and you're going to sob and you'll think the world has come to an end for you I don't care who you are I don't care how much you got it's, this is not just teaching for the poor folks this is teaching from whoever. You can't do the will of God without suffering. Jesus suffered. And so will we. We will suffer just like he suffered. Amen. Lowing as they went. Lowing as they went. I could tell you so many stories. I just have you bawling here today. But uh, we don't have that kind of time. I want to go on. The Bible says they seen the ark coming. And they rejoiced to see it. They danced and they shouted. And they praised the Lord. Let me tell you something folks. If you will do the will of God. 
Somebody is going to rejoice throughout eternity. Somebody is going to rejoice out throughout eternity because you have done the will of God. Musicians, if you'll prepare. I want to tell you something else. If you fail to do the will of God, if you backslide, if you fail God, or if you just fail to do the will of God and stay in the church, but you don't do the will of God, I promise you, you hear me? You listening to me? I promise you that there'll be somebody that will wail and gnash their teeth for eternity because you fail God. You may backslide. You may come back and repent. But I promise you somebody will go to hell because you did that. Somebody will go to hell because of it. I shook that radio on that ship and that song faded back in. There's room at the cross for you. Maybe we can sing that. There's room at the cross for you. Folks, this is the time that the whole church from the day of Pentecost has looked forward to this time. We like to talk about them, but they talked about us and what we were going to be doing in the latter rain. The prophets prophesied that the latter rain was going to be the, both the former and the latter rain. There's men on this platform that has preached that all their life. That there's going to be a latter rain. And it's going to be greater than anything that's ever happened in the history of the church. I'm going to make a statement today. And if you don't believe me, at least don't get offended at me. If you don't believe it. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that there are things happening today that the apostles never seen anything equal to it. Brother Tenney was with me on one trip to Ethiopia. And we all know that he is an, a great Bible scholar. Knows the Bible probably as well as anybody among us. And he made notes of that meeting one weekend. And he told me that there was more miracles happened in that one weekend than is recorded in the entire book of the Acts of the Apostles, which is a record of the Apostles for 35 years. It happened in one weekend. That's the day that you're living in. That's the day you're living in. Now you can sit at home and twiddle your thumbs if you want to. You can sit at home and twiddle your thumbs if you want to. Nobody can make you do the will of God. Not in America. In fact, you have to be awful careful how you talk to people in America. Or their ego will raise up against you. You hear me? It's hard to talk to us. So since you make it so hard for us to talk to you, you be sure you talk to God. Because you might miss it. I don't want to miss it, folks. I don't want to do what I've done for the last 45 years and then fail to be in the will of God today. That's right, Brother Joe. That's right, Brother Joe. Can we sing that song? Would you sing it with me? There's room at the cross for you you remember that old song there's room at the cross for you though 
If you want to do the will of God, would you stand with me? If that's your desire, if you're physically able to stand, would you stand with me? If you're not physically able, don't worry about it. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for Would you sing it under the Lord and just put your hand?